Join Dr. David Jeremiah live online this Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern, streaming from Raleigh, North Carolina, for a one-night event with musical guest, the Gaither Vocal Band. Be part of this free live stream Thursday at davidjeremiah.org. If you think only the lost can fall for deception, consider this. Jesus warned believers in particular to be wary of deceivers. Are you on high alert? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah returns to Christ's prophecy in Matthew 24 to examine the rise in deception that will occur in the earth's final days. Here's David to introduce today's message, In a World of Deception, Be Honest. I don't know if you resonate with this or not, but I've said this to several people recently. It's kind of hard to note what deception is because nobody knows what the truth is anymore. Uh, Truth has been lost in the political maneuvering that goes on every day. And uh, it is so overwhelming to me to have your television on and you're watching somebody say something that you know is false and you know that they know it's false, but they say it with authority and we're supposed to believe it. Jesus' first comment to his disciples in this incredible series was, See that ye be not deceived. So we're going to talk about deception today and tomorrow, some incredible record uh, stories of when deception took place, how we can overcome it, and what our call to action should be in light of it. I hope you have your Bible open to Matthew 24. We're going to be looking at verses 4 and 5 and verse 11. And we're talking about how we can live in the world of the end, in a world of deception. Remember now, this is not about how we change our circumstances, but how our circumstances are allowed to change us for the good and for God. Get your copy of the book, The World of the End, with a gift of any size to Turning Point during the month of October. All you have to do is ask for it when you send your gift. It'll be on its way. Be reminded that the book is also available at all the major stores. And you can get it there. And when you do that, it helps us because it makes these stores even more willing to carry our books as we go forward into the future. And then um, don't forget tonight, we're in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. And uh, we're going to be there for a wonderful event. It's our first rally for the new season. We're at the PNC Arena. It's a ticketed event. If you don't have tickets, you can still get them. Go to our website, and uh, we'll process them so you can pick them up at the door. If you're one of the uh, helpers, one of the volunteers, we encourage you to come and be there early so you can help everything get ready. We're going to have a wonderful, wonderful night tonight, and I hope you're going to be a part of it if you're in the Raleigh-Durham area. Next week, we'll be in Orlando, Florida at the Amway Center. The following Thursday in Greenville, South Carolina at the Bon Secours Wellness Arena. And then Friday, November the 11th in Buffalo, New York at the Key Bank Center. Tickets are free, but you must get them from davidjeremiah.org slash tour. And uh, you can go there and do that today. Well... Here we go. This is What to Do in a World of Deception. This is Turning Point, and I'm David Jeremiah. The Romanian Revolution of 1989 brought to an end the brutal reign of Nicolae Ceausescu and his wife, Elena. And the entire story can be wrapped up in one word. The word is deception. From the very beginning, Ceausescu's 24-year rule was saturated with falsehood. 
He deceived the Romanian people when he described the utopian vision of the nation that he planned to build, promising the end of oppression and the beginning of prosperity. Of course, instead of that, he delivered an iron hand that crushed his own people and squeezed his own nation dry. Nikolai lauded himself as a man of unprecedented talent in the world, claiming the titles of the supreme embodiment of God, hero of heroes, worker of workers, and first personage of the world. And Alina, his wife, made sure the Romanian press referred to her as a model to be followed up by all the women in our country, the legendary mother and the most just woman on earth. Those were words of deception. Those who were deceived by Romania's leaders were not limited to Eastern Europe either. They basically deceived the whole world. Queen Elizabeth knighted Ceausescu. The United States government granted his country most favored nation trading status. And former Israeli Prime Minister Menachem Begin credited Ceausescu with mediating Anwar Sadat's peace mission to Jerusalem. In reality, the Ceausescu's were as evil as Hitler. They just didn't have the opportunity to work on as grand a scale. They were, in every sense of the word, liars and master manipulators. Deception is common in our world today, and it's also a frequent topic throughout scriptures. And while the practice of deceit began in Genesis chapter 3 in the Garden of Eden, it seems to occupy an especially significant place in the prophetic passages of the New Testament. When the disciples came to Jesus, asking him about the future, Jesus began his response with this serious warning. Take heed, said Jesus, that no one deceives you. The status of deception in the world of the end. According to Jesus, deception will play a major role in the world of the end. While we should always be on the alert for lies and misdirection, The Lord warned us to be especially watchful for spiritual deceit as the day of his return approaches. Matthew 24, 23 and 24 reads like this. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Jesus specifically instructed his disciples not to follow or fall for these false claims. If the idea of people claiming to be the Messiah sounds strange or far-fetched, know that even in the first century there were several who made that claim. Fifty years after the fall of Jerusalem, a false Messiah came on the scene. The Jews were now ready to follow anyone who would lead them in a new revolt against Rome. So when the courageous fighter Barcoba appeared, he naturally took on himself the aura of the long-awaited Messiah. He said, here I am. I am your Messiah. On one occasion, Barcoba supposedly caught a stone from a Roman catapult and threw it back. And when the current rabbi heard about that, he exclaimed that this man must really be the king, the Messiah, and gave him the name Bar Koba, which is taken from Numbers chapter 24. 
it means there shall come forth a star. So he was anointed as the Messiah. Of course, he was not the Messiah. And his rebellion ended in tragedy for God's people. The Bar Kokhba revolt was also known as the second Jewish rebellion, and it was put down by the Romans in AD 135, when Hadrian led Roman legions to once again destroy Jerusalem and the surrounding area. It resulted in the death of over a half a million Jewish people because of his deception. In every century since the first, men and women, there have been imposters who have claimed to be the Messiah. But that is not the only deception about which Jesus cautions. In his sermon, he says to his disciples in verse 11, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. For every one imposter who claims to be the Messiah, there are at least 10 false prophets who will rise up to claim knowledge they do not have about a future they cannot know. They are false prophets. For example, back in 1843, a New Englander named William Miller came to ardently believe that in the imminent time, Jesus Christ was going to return. Unfortunately, he began to speculate about the date of that return using dubious mathematical calculations. He collected mounds of data, he analyzed it, and was certain he had made no mistakes. He confidently announced to his followers that on March 21st, 1843, Jesus Christ would return to the earth. At midnight on the appointed day, Miller's devoted followers donned their ascension robes, trekked into the mountains, and climbed towering trees to get as high as possible so they would have less distance to travel through the air. But the day came and went, and the Lord did not return, and the trees became really uncomfortable. And so a dejected band of Millerites trudged home to a late breakfast on March the 22nd, accompanied by the jeers and catcalls of their neighbors and friends. It was a sad and bitter day for those deeply disappointed men and women. But Miller is just one example of many false prophets in history. Frankly, when we read that false prophets based their predictions on their study of the Scripture, I can't help but wonder what Bible they were studying. Because, you see, if there's one truth about which we can be absolutely certain, it is this. The date of our Lord's return is unknown and unknowable by anyone on this earth. Scripture makes that very clear. Here are just a representative three verses. Matthew 24, 44, Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Matthew 25, 13, Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Mark 13, 32, But of that day and hour no one knows, listen to this, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son but only the Father. Did you know that when Jesus was on this earth, Jesus did not know when he would return? Somebody said, how could that be true? Wasn't he the Son of God? Wasn't he omniscient? Yes, he was, but for the time he was on this earth, he voluntarily divested himself of the independent use of his attributes, so while he was on the earth, he lived as a man. He knows now, and he's looking forward to it, but when he was on this earth, Jesus did not know when he would return. The angels do not know when he will return. 
So here's my question. If Jesus doesn't know while he's on this earth and the angels do not know, how in the world did you find out? I mean, it is so ridiculous because it is so clear. I've read three verses. I think there are 12 verses in Matthew, Mark, and Luke where it says you cannot know the hour. We should always be ready for the return of Christ, but we should never give dates. Miller did it, and over the years, many others did it. Whenever you hear somebody say they know when Jesus is coming back, you know they are wrong because you cannot know that, and the Scripture says that very plainly. So no matter how orthodox we may be, no matter how committed we are to the Word of God, no matter how much we think we could not be vulnerable to deception, history teaches us that even faithful men and women have become susceptible to the deception of the enemy. Jesus said, be careful that you be not deceived. That danger will increase greatly as we move nearer to the world of the end. That's the status of deception. Here's the source of it. The spiritual deception that Jesus warns us about isn't mere happenstance. There is someone behind these deceptions, and that someone is none other than Satan, the evil enemy of our souls. He is the father of lies, and since the very beginning of human history, one of his primary weapons against us has been deceit. In the book of Revelation, John describes him like this, the great dragon, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. Here's what Jesus said about Satan in John 8:44. He said he was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Spiritual deception may be Satan's most insidious weapon against those of us in the church. Jesus and his apostles speak of it nearly 30 times in the New Testament. Did you know that? Satan is a liar. He's a serpent. He's a deceiver. But he masquerades as something else, and so do those who follow in his footsteps. Here is what Paul wrote to the Corinthians in his second letter and the 11th chapter. He said, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ, And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Deception has always been the weapon of choice of our enemy. And when this deception is full-blown in the period surrounding the rapture, it will be unlike anything that has ever happened before on this earth. But the birth pangs of deception will be felt throughout the earth before the rapture. And many prophetic scholars believe they are being felt already today. While I don't consider myself a prophetic scholar, I believe the deception birth pangs have already begun. Have you experienced the increasing saturation of deception in our society? I know the answer has to be yes. We feel it when politicians regularly fail to follow through on campaign promises. We feel it when media personalities tell us that up is down and dark is light. We feel it when scientists make outlandish claims about basic biology that do not stand up to common sense. We feel it when governments practice censorship in the name of protection and persecution in the name of peace. 
What we're seeing, men and women, is more than ever an erosion of trust between the foundations that have held cultures and civilizations together for years. And that erosion will continue to intensify as we approach the world of the end. Someone asked me one time, how in the world will the Antichrist ever deceive the whole world? You know what? We're preparing the way for him. We really are. If we can be deceived as blatantly as we're being deceived right now, the Antichrist is going to have a heyday. It won't be hard for him. If he says it, we'll believe it. The status of deception in the world of the end and the source of it and the strategy of deception in the world of the end. If you have your Bibles with you, I hope you will find your place in the third chapter of Genesis. I want to take you through Satan's strategy. This will impact you if you listen carefully. Someone will say it convicts you. Well, you know, conviction always comes before change, so that's good. The Apostle Paul told the Corinthians, we are not to be ignorant of Satan's devices, 2 Corinthians 2.11. As followers of Jesus, we need to know our enemy so that we can stand against his schemes, including the scheme of deception. Thankfully, we can learn a great deal about Satan's strategy by studying God's word. The strategy Satan implemented in the Garden of Eden is the exact same strategy he tried to use on Jesus Christ in the wilderness, Matthew chapter 4. And it's the same strategy he uses on you and me today. And it's the same strategy he will use in the end times. Satan's only got one plan. He's only got one game plan, one strategy. He uses it over and over and over again. And if you want to know what it is, you can find it out. And then you can be a little more prepared not to let it happen to you. So I'm going to show you how he works. First of all, Satan disputes God's word. The first thing Satan did when he tempted Adam and Eve was to dispute God's word. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Satan immediately tried to water down what God had said, to change it just a little. He suggested to Eve that she may not have heard God correctly. (laughs) Here is how this happens to us today. We have the clear, plain word of God in front of us. It tells us we shouldn't do something we would really like to do. And the next thing we know, someone sidles up to us and tries to give us an alternative interpretation of the text that will allow us to do what we know God doesn't want us to do. That is a moment of decision. We have to choose at that moment either to accept the truth of God's word as it is written or to allow ourselves to be deceived. Satan told Eve that God didn't really mean what he said. Then Satan denies God's word. Next, Satan said to Adam and Eve, you shall not surely die. Wait a minute. The road from doubt to denial is not very long. And when Satan said, you shall not surely die, he was brazenly contradicting what God had said. See for yourself, Genesis 2.17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it. What does it say, class? You shall surely die. It is important to note the sequence here. Doubt opens the door to denial. 
If Adam and Eve had not listened to Satan in the beginning, they would not have been victimized in the end. And every time you try to find an interpretation of Scripture that will permit you to do something you know is wrong in your heart, every time you give a little ground up to the enemy, you open the door until Satan can drive a truck through that opening and dump a load of stinking garbage in your life. And he will do it every time. Satan disputes God's word, and then he denies God's word, and then he displaces God's word. Satan said to them, if you do this, you will be like God. He told them, if you do what God told you not to do, you will be like God. Can you believe that? I mean, if you just put that out there in in a little circle and there's nothing around it, you'd notice it, but it's kind of buried in the context. Satan was putting into their minds the same disturbing thought that had once entered his own mind, the same impulse that had transformed him from the anointed cherub to the devil of hell. That is the master strategy of Satan. He first disputes, he then denies, and then he displaces the word of God. One of the easiest places to see Satan at work in the world today is to observe how our culture treats sin. How innocent it seems to shift aside the pure truth of Scripture when doing it suits our purpose. For instance, lying doesn't seem bad if we're trying to spare another person's feelings. Adultery doesn't feel as wrong when we describe it through doublespeak as an improper relationship. Gluttony and addiction aren't the result of personal choices, but genetic disorders or chemical imbalances. When we allow Satan to sow doubt in our minds that some sins are really not sins after all, we have opened our hearts to his deception. Quickly then, right and wrong get turned upside down, and God's word is replaced with our own wisdom. And if you just look, you see it everywhere in our culture today. This is like the message, and the world we live in is like the illustration. He disputes God's word, he denies God's word, he displaces God's word, and then he discounts God's goodness. This is really subtle, but please notice. Genesis 2, 16 and 17, and the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in that day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Notice how generous God is. An abundance of goodness was offered freely, just one restriction. Yet look at how Eve reframed God's original command when she spoke with Satan in Genesis chapter 3. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Do you see what's missing? Eve omitted God's gracious provision that she and Adam could freely eat of every tree in the garden. In other words, Her comprehension of God's provision was not merely as magnanimous as God intended it to be. Satan had gotten to her with his evil implication about God. Listen carefully. When you start to question the grace and goodness of God, you are on the road to deception. Don't allow Satan to push you into thinking God has abandoned you or that he has not been good to you. It's when you open the door to those kinds of thoughts that you'll find Satan has sown his seeds of deception in your heart. Isn't it interesting to be able to go back to the very first part of the Bible and there discover the strategy that Satan has used throughout all of the 
centuries from then until now and still uses today and is using it on many people as we speak. Knowing the strategy of the enemy doesn't keep it from happening, but it helps you be aware of what's going on so that you can withstand and having done all to stand. We'll have more of this tomorrow in part two of A World of Deception and What It Means to Be Honest. I hope this is encouraging you and helping you to know that in these days, it's not right to be frustrated by everything that's wrong. It is right to ask God to help these circumstances create a clean heart in you and make you a warrior for Him. That's what we're praying will happen. Don't forget to get your copy of the book, The World of the End, 241 pages in hardcover. You can get it from Turning Point for a gift of any size. All you have to do is ask for it when you send your gift. We'll see you tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The World of the End, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected, our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, be sure to ask for your copy of David's powerful new book, The World of the End. How Jesus' Prophecy Shapes Our Priorities. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The World of the End, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. After visiting Charles Spurgeon's church in London one Sunday, a man was asked by his friend, How did you like Mr. Spurgeon? The man looked a bit puzzled and replied, To be honest, I didn't notice much about Mr. Spurgeon at all. All my attention was focused on the Jesus he was preaching about. Sounds like Charles Spurgeon was preaching biblically, doesn't it? 
In a day when people choose churches based on how entertaining or funny the pastor is, we ought to remember who church is really about. Getting a clear image of God through the preaching of His Word ought to overshadow everything else. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover who God is on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.